As you write your life story, you're far from finished. Are you looking to close the book on your job? Maybe turn a page in your career. Be Continued at the Georgetown University School of Continuing Studies. Our professional master's degrees and certificates are designed to meet you where you are and take you where you want to go. At Georgetown SCS, the learning never stops, and neither do you. Write your next chapter. Be continued at scs.georgetown.edu slash podcast. This episode of the Bear Stalk Underground is brought to you by MyBookie. This year, Turkey Day at MyBookie gives you plenty of reasons to be thankful, starting with a $250 risk-free bet on Thursday afternoon when the Dallas Cowboys host the Las Vegas Raiders. Bet the spread between the Raiders and Cowboys at MyBookie. When you win, you win, and if you don't, MyBookie will refund you up to $250. Simply put, you can't lose this bet, and that's what we call no risk all gravy. Before you get your wager in, set yourself up for success by doubling your first deposit when using the promo code SPORTSDRINK at MyBookie. That's promo code SPORTSDRINK to double your initial deposit all the way up to $1,000. So you won't need to break the wishbone to be the one to come out ahead. Feast risk-free on Turkey Day with MyBookie and make sure to stick around for seconds as they gear up for what should be a fun Black Friday with tons of odds boosts that will have your belly and your pockets full. Bet anything, anywhere, anytime with my bookie. What's up, guys? Quick turnaround. Thank God, especially after a performance like the one we had yesterday against the Lamar Jackson-less Baltimore Ravens. We don't have time to dwell on that uh, debacle. We have a quick turnaround uh, to play the Lions on Thursday. So there's no looking back. Uh, I, you know, if, if I'm the Bears, I don't even look at that film. I freaking burn it and just never talk about it ever again. Or at least I don't dwell on the whole game. Maybe we look at some key spots here and there, like who was that blown coverage that gave the, you know, that, that left Sammy Watkins wide open, the, the, you know, that got the Lions down to the three-yard line and, and all that kind of stuff. And uh, no, it was not Kendall Vildor. Maybe it was. Who knows? But uh, you know, it's it's not as cut and dry as some of the other stuff Kendall Vildoria did yesterday. But um, you know, it's um, it's a luxury at this point that we have this Thursday night, or excuse me, this Thursday morning game. We play eleven thirty a.m. Central Time, uh, Bears and and Lions on Thanksgiving Day, and uh, you know, we kick off the holiday uh, with that game, and hopefully the. The Bears will get us a win because they need a win. We need a win. You know what I mean? We as Bear fans, we need a win. We haven't seen one since October 10th when we beat the Steelers in Las Vegas. And that was a, a win I don't think any of us were really counting on. You know, we knew it was a possibility, but, uh, you know, it wasn't one that we had in the bank. And we, <laughs> with with this schedule and the way that this team is playing, you, you, you can't bank on many victories this might be the last one we can bank on for the rest of the season you know it was like you know maybe the Seahawks maybe the Giants uh, uh, after Minnesota whooped up on the Packers yesterday I'm not so sure that's a as uh, easy a victory as it was looking a few weeks ago but uh, you know it's it's a weird season we'll see so uh, we'll talk more about the about the ramifications if the Bears lose on tomorrow's deep dive uh, preview. But uh, for now, we have myself, we have Jeremy Reisman, 
uh, back to help us preview this Bears-Lions game. And, you know, we're two long-suffering fans who have uh, long suffered with a football team, just like you guys have. And, uh, you know, sometimes when, when it's when, when you can only laugh to avoid the tears kind of thing, the conversation can devolve into other things. Like at some point, uh, we start talking about press box meals and other kind of random stuff uh, here and there. But we always love having Jeremy on. It's always a great time having him on the show, uh, talking about the, you know, like this is like the truest rivalry in the NFC North. You know, the Packers are our, are our biggest rival, but this is a rivalry. Now, granted, we've had the Lions number the last several years with Nagy at the helm. It's one of the good things about Nagy is that he's always managed to figure out how to beat the Lions, except for, I think, the one loss last year. But, um, you know, so being the Lion, you know, having the Lions on the schedule is a good thing when Nagy is your coach, or at least it has been up to this point. Uh, I, like I said, we'll talk about the ramifications and the what ifs uh, on the deep dive tomorrow. God forbid we choke our ass and lose this game. Honestly, what is the point? Why, why, why not pull the court? And actually, Jeremy and I talk about this because the exact same thing happened last year to the Lions. You know, they went into the Thanksgiving game. They were on a losing streak. They got blown out by the Houston Texans on national TV with the whole world watching, and they fired Matt Patricia shortly thereafter. And, uh, you know, Daryl Bevel was the coach for the rest of the season to run out the string, and, you know, they're on to the rebuild, which they're in the midst of uh, right now. So don't dismiss the Lions because they're 0-9-1 because – you know, do you trust the Bears uh, at this point? So I, th- I think this uh, this could be a very interesting game uh, on Thursday because it's it's a Thursday game. It's it's Thanksgiving. Weird things always happen on these games. I mean, we th- we thought we had a shot against the Ravens because the Dolphins were able to beat up on the Ravens uh, on a short week. So you know. So it wouldn't be completely out of the realm of possibility that an 0-9-1 team could figure out how to win a football game on short notice. So not the craziest notion in the world. And I know some of us are probably cheering for it because of the possibility that the extended uh, time off, the mini-buy, if you will, might give the Bears the uh, ammo they need to uh, let Nagy go finally. But uh, like I said, we'll talk a little bit about that uh, tomorrow. But uh, for now, let's go ahead and uh, dive into this. Our great friend Jeremy Reisman from SB Nation's Pride of Detroit here to help us preview Bears-Lions for week number 12. So this is the week 12 preview episode of the Bears Talk Underground. So let's get to it. Week number 12 is the blessing in disguise in that the quick turnaround means we get to put week 11 behind us as quickly as possible. The Bears will go on the road once again to take on the Detroit Lions on Thanksgiving. Stop me if you've heard that one before, maybe five <laughs> times in the last six years. But uh, And here to help us preview this uh, super awesome matchup that I know the whole country can't wait to see first thing on Thursday morning from Pride of Detroit, Jeremy Reisman. Jeremy, welcome back, man. Hey, thanks for having me. Always good to talk Bears, Lions for Thanksgiving, because as you say, just an epic matchup for for everyone to watch on national television. Yes, the futility that is 
Chicago <laughs> versus Detroit, especially this year. Um, I think I remember talking to you heading into our first matchup that after our first matchup with you was a potential for six-game losing streak starting with the Raiders the week after. Well, yeah. Jeremy, I'm, I'm, I'm proud to say that I was wrong. It wasn't a six-game losing streak. It was a five-game losing streak because we beat the Raiders after we won our game against you uh, week number four. But um, I do remember tweeting to you, or, yeah, I sent you a message on Twitter saying that, um, you know, I had a feeling that if your guys could ever figure out how to put 60 minutes together, that you'd be a team to contend with. And I'm guessing that here we are six, seven weeks later, eight weeks later, actually. Um, you're 0-9-1, so you haven't yep. won a football game. I'm guessing you still haven't figured out how to put 60 minutes together yet. No, and in fact, I feel like the team might actually be performing a little bit worse than, than oh, they boy. were when they played Chicago. Um, the the offense has really just been a complete mess, and I, I know speaking to Bears fans, they'll, they'll feel my pain there because... Sure. Um, the passing game is just absolutely non-existent right now. The whatever the Lions have tried to do, it, it's it centered themselves around the running game at this point. Like they have basically abandoned the passing game to a point where this team is regularly running the ball on third and seven plus, regularly. And and you know some people are saying, well, they're they're just giving up, or you know they're they're just they don't want to make mistakes, they don't want to. You know, they don't want to turn the ball over in these close games. They, they just want to, like, play safe football. Part of it is probably that. I think part of it is this team, gener like, genuinely believes that their best chance of converting a third and ten is a draw play to DeAndre Swift because everything else isn't working. Jared Goff has been really, really bad. Last week we saw Tim Boyle. He wasn't any better. And the Lions don't have a receiving core, so they just don't throw it downfield. And they say, you know what? DeAndre Swift, go do something crazy. And it, it, it works sometimes. It, like, it, it's worked twice in the past two weeks. One, I think they picked up, like, 15 yards on a third and 12. And last week, uh, DeAndre Swift's 57-yard touchdown run came on a third and eight run. So mm. I think that, to to them, is, like, justifying it. Like, hey, look, it worked those times. Like, we're, we're barely ever converting it when we're throwing the ball. So if it works one out of every 30 times when we run the ball, well, that's an improvement. And so... Uh, long story short, uh, no, this team is not putting together a full four quarters. Uh, offensively, you'd be, uh, you'd be, it'd be hard to see them put together a full quarter, um, offensively. Cause that, that is just, it's a mess right now. Well, Jeremy, thanks to the bye week, I had the great pleasure of watching the lions and the Steelers. Yeah. Um, and I did send you some messages. You were probably too busy screaming at the television to answer them because I didn't hear back from you. <laughs> yep. um, but um, I, I was, uh, I didn't have any skin. In, I mean, obviously, I had a little bias towards the, um, or against, I should say, the Steelers after the debacle on Monday night and the taunting penalty and all that nonsense that pretty much cost us the football game there. Um, but um, I got to say, man. For whatever reason, I don't know if I was flogging myself or, or whatever, I watched the entire game. 
start oh, to man. finish all five quarters of it because it was a 16 to 16 tie in yeah. the end where it just seemed uh, the only thing that seemed obvious to me is neither one of these football teams wants to win this game right. because the Steelers were in field goal range with like seconds to go in overtime and the kid fumbles the football and the Lions recover and then I don't know what that play was that the Lions were trying to run uh there at the end but uh you know I mean what a disaster at the end and I remember my buddy texting me um like you know like I have a new streaming service so I pretty much have like Sunday NFL ticket the game that my buddy was getting was something else that cut two Steelers Lions at the end he's like I've been watching this for five minutes and I'm already pissed off it's like yeah I've been watching this for 65 minutes and yeah. we've still got half a half of the overtime period left to go I I I I can't imagine what it would be like for someone like you who's got skin in the game with this team to watch them go back and forth against a team that is begging them to take the game away from them and your guys just won't do it yeah I, I would say for the first four quarters, I was definitely yelling at the TV and pissed off. The overtime, however, I was just like cackling with glee at that point because it was just, I mean, it didn't, it wouldn't have mattered if the Lions got their first win in that game because it was the most ridiculous, horrible football game where, yeah, just each team is just so, is showing no interest in trying to win that football game and nothing would have made like, I understand like the Lions really need to get off a, a winless season. They They can't. No one wants to see that here in Detroit. Like no one wants to see them hit, go through yet another winless season twice yeah. in, in thirteen years. But like I don't, I didn't want it to be that game. I didn't, I didn't want it to be that way because they didn't deserve to win. I wouldn't have, I would have taken zero pleasure in that win because oh god, I, I just it was ridiculous. And by the time like the Steelers are turning it over twice in, in overtime, they're fumbling the ball away. The Lions are missing field goals because they're their normal kicker has is on the COVID list or no, he was on the IR list. And it's just like a comedy of errors. And unfortunately we pretty much got the exact same thing the following week against the Browns uh, this past Sunday, but that's a whole nother story. Uh, yeah. The, that that's just the lines right now is like, they, they don't seem to have an, they, they have a bigger interest in not losing a game than winning it. Mm-hmm. And it feels like they used up all of their like interesting plays and like fight and, aggressiveness in that Rams game yeah. a few weeks back when they when they ran the couple fake punts and an on, a surprise onside kick like they really took it to the Rams in that game and they did it by being super aggressive and bold and and trying interesting things and since then it's like well the Browns aren't very good the Steelers aren't very good so let's just kind of play down to their level and maybe we'll just pull out a win just kind of doing normal boring football and turns out that doesn't work either yeah I mean I like I said I was watching that game and uh I really wanted to see the Steelers uh, lose it after you know after basically being gifted a victory by the by the officials right uh, that week and or you know on Monday night uh, and everything and it was just you know <laughs> that kicker he he misses the extra point that would have won the football game sure you know yeah. it's just and it it always seems like the one where the officials are like well i wonder if that'll come back to bite him and that's the <laughs> one that always comes back to bite him and huh? sure enough it did and then the field goal attempt in overtime <laughs> i thought it got blocked i honestly yeah, it thought was. it got blocked cuz it literally was like 4 feet off the ground the whole time and 
No, he just hit it in the worst possible way and kicked a 40-yard line drive. Unfortunately, it was a 48-yard field goal, and, you know, it was no good, and overtime continues, and the futility continues. Because, like I said, neither one of these teams appeared to be ready to win a football game that day. Yeah, just kind of an unfortunate series of events for that kicker, too. Like, he's he's a converted punter. He's a guy that, like, you know, he's he was a backup and he had never tr- even attempted a field goal, I think, longer than 39 yards. So um, it was a rainy day. Just Yeah. I feel bad for the guy uh, because, I, I don't know, I don't like to, to hate on kickers, especially one that are kind of put into a tough situation where, sure. like, you know, high-pressure situation, trying to get a team off a winless streak and having very little experience doing it. Um, you know, he wasn't exactly set up for success, and 48 is no gimme either. But right. uh, the fact that it came out, came off his leg the way it did is undeniably a little funny though. Yeah. I mean, he kicked that ball like dead in the middle for it to just fly the yeah. way that it did. I mean, there was no end over end to it or any, it was a total like knuckleball uh, of a kick. And I was like that one, it had, it, it got blocked. Right. It's like, Nope. <laughs> it actually went through the perfect opening between players at the line of scrimmage. Nobody touched that ball. He just kicked it in the worst possible spot and he kicked it hard. I'm sure if he'd hit it right, he'd have put it through the uprights or, or at least it yep. would have gone wide, right, wide, left, whatever. I think he would have had enough leg to do it, but he just, he, he kicked the hell out of that ball, but he kicked it like dead right in the middle. It was, it was lucky it wasn't one of those that hit the lineman in the butt or something like that. Right, you know? right. That feels like that could have happened in that game, though, for sure. Like, that would have been very on par is, is that game is won by a, a butt kick or something. <laughs> Do you remember who the announcers were for the game? Ooh, that one? Um, I think that was Chris Myers and, and whoever That sounds right. Was. Yeah, that sounds right, because I just that you're you know, what you're absolutely right. It was because Chris Myers kept insisting at some point, Jared Goff is going to throw the ball down. Yes. Yep. Jared Goff is eventually going to throw the ball downfield. He's going to throw it downfield. And it's like, no, man, they are not going to throw the ball. I don't know why. I mean, well, I, I mean, you just explained to us why. But it's like for someone like me who's had very limited exposure to the Lions and watched you throw the ball pretty decently against us about six weeks prior to that, wondering why it is they wouldn't at least take a shot downfield. You have one of the better young tight ends in football, and it's like, nah, we're not throwing a ball to him uh, at all. Like Chris Myers made a point to tell us, we haven't thrown a pass to this guy yet today, and here we are like halfway through the fourth quarter. Yeah, and I think anyone who would just sit and watch one Lions game would think like through three quarters, like, okay, well, it's an interesting strategy from the Lions. They're, they they keep throwing it short and, and running all these plays. Clearly, they're setting up the defense for a deep shot at some point. Yeah. Like that, yeah, that would make sense. But no, no, that's not what the Lions are doing. The Lions are just, we don't have receivers. We don't trust our quarterback. We don't trust our offensive line to give us enough time uh, because we know if we get sacked, we're screwed. We know if we throw an interception, we're screwed and we're going to lose this game. So they're just playing ultra ultra conservative play on offense and and that means one deep shot per three games yeah I mean it's um I mean that was the thing that drove me nuts about the John Fox era was John Mm -hmm. Fox lived to play not to lose yep he lived to play not to lose and I can't tell you how many times in the very short three-year tenure that we had with John Fox that I would be at the edge of my sanity doing a review episode because John Fox played not to lose. And guess what? We lost. 
Yeah. You know, we just like when you play not to lose, it's like it's 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 the, almost the exact same as playing not to get hurt. You will right. almost immediately hurt yourself at some point when you're trying to play it safe. So, yeah, I mean, how many championships did Marty Schottenheimer miss out on because <laughs> he played Marty ball at a time when he should have been aggressive when he was playing not to lose that's why marty schottenheimer will go down in history as one of the greatest coaches to never make it to a super bowl let alone win one you know how many times did he have the best team in his conference to not you know to get bounced in the divisional round because he was playing it safe year in and year out he would do that so yeah and and it's an interesting kind of combination of events for for detroit because Last week against the Steelers, you know, Jared Goff was was hurt too. You know, he strained his oblique in, in right. the first half there, and so that was a little bit to blame for. You know, that's what Dan Campbell said was part of it. It was also raining both the past two weeks, which which played a part in both of it. Tim Boyle was in his first career start, so maybe you don't want to test put too much on his shoulders to to throw it deep. Um, but the other interesting thing that that's unique to the past two weeks, where really this this conservative offense has really kind of been at its worst is Dan Campbell took over over play calling duties out of the bye in the past. Now, did he actually take over play calling or because the, the announcers had me confused as hell during that Steeler game. Like, is he the one actually calling the plays or it's just that Anthony Lynn is feeding it to him and he's the one directly communicating with the quarterback. Cause that was something that I could never quite get straight. Cause I don't even think the announcers could tell what, which was which. Right, yeah, and we didn't really know going in what the plan was going to be because the only thing Dan Campbell said in in the week lead up was that he wanted to be more involved in the offense and he wanted to be more in the quarterback's ear. So it sounded like at first, like that's just all that was. Like he wanted to be in Jared Goff's ear and talk to him and and he'd relay the plays but not call the plays. Right. But that's not what's happening. Oh boy. He's calling the plays. And and to be clear, it is a collaborative effort. Like Anthony Lynn is still calling his fair share of plays and things like that, but – um, okay, Jeremy, every, slow down. Every, First of yeah. all, yep. you're talking to a Bears fan. We don't use the C word. Okay, collaboration was the <laughs> buzzword of the day and the presser from hell in January. It still gives the Bear fans the shake. So you want to watch it? Be very conservative with the C word, okay? Because collaborative is like, okay, I just want to choke anyone who says that word because that's how it's a trigger word uh, yeah. for us. But I understand it's 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 a uh, together process that they that they do uh, well, out there in Detroit. That's what they're feeding to us, at least. Like, yeah, I'm not sure how much I believe it, and I'm sure that's probably what part of your issue is like you don't really believe it either i'm guessing is and and yeah i like i don't know it's it's kind of a fascinating situation because dan campbell's never called plays um and he was never really thought of as you know i think most people thought when they hired dan campbell they they weren't hiring it for his offensive mindedness or his you know his his brilliant mind they were doing it because he's a great leader And, and that has its own value but if you're taking over play calling duties and this is what you got like Dan Campbell was given a free pass for the entire 2021 season. He was. Even if you look now, like, his approval rating at Pride of Detroit is still, like, 75 to 80%. Yeah, I saw that, yeah. But by putting him in in this situation where he's calling the plays, all of a sudden he's under fire a lot more, and rightfully so because the the offense is not good. 16 points last week, 10 points a week uh, after that. So he's kind of put a target on his own, you know, forehead a little bit with – taking over the the offensive play calling duties and not really getting anything out of the offense other than a, a decent running game, which is, is not nothing. But um, when, you, when you have like 
literally the worst passing offense in the league, even a, a decent run game isn't going to carry you as much as, as you need to to win a single football game. So it's kind of an interesting situa- situation where, where Dan Campbell's at because you are starting to see like the tide turn a little bit in the, in the honeymoon period end a little bit. And it didn't have to be this way. He kind of put it on himself. Yeah, it's it's interesting because um, the Bears are in a similar situation with Nagy, and yeah. you know he he we had to pry play calling from his cold dead fingers uh, <laughs> in order to. I mean, after the Cleveland game, the the Lions game that we played against you guys was the first time where Bill Lazor was calling plays again this year, right. and you know immediately we were seeing things that we weren't seeing before, like you know, keeping the tight ends for, you know, max protection and play action passes and right. things like that worked like a charm against uh, uh, you guys. And, you know, but then somehow I'm guessing the C word started to creep back in there because <laughs> we haven't seen it again since. We saw a little bit of it against the Steelers, uh, you know, th- because Justin Fields almost had his first 300-yard passing game uh, against the Steelers, uh, you know, 50-yard bomb to Marquise Goodwin and, and things like that. Uh, taking place but for the most part it's we saw everything that worked it worked great we ran the football really well uh, against you guys at that point 24 was the highest point total of the season uh, for us and we didn't break that until we lost to the Steelers scoring 27 points uh, last week or two weeks ago now so you know the offense has been a mess and statistically we still have the worst passing game uh, in the NFL, so I don't know if you did. You guys have throw a lot of passing yards, and well, actually, you haven't had a game where you had one net passing yard this year, have you? No, I don't think so. Yeah, because no. that's what we did against Cleveland. Yeah, Justin no, Fields we... had forty-seven yards passing, and thanks to the nine sacks, he lost forty-six yards. So we netted one passing <laughs> yard for the game. Uh, and I'm pretty sure that's the reason why we still are like 31st, 32nd in the league in passing yeah. because right there, dead in the middle, week three, we have one passing yard to show for our passing efforts uh, in a football game. So, yeah. Exciting game for the nation. Absolutely. Uh, on Thursday coming. And you can also see why the NFL put us up first to get us out of the way. <laughs> it's like <laughs> Detroit's got to play somebody. Might as well be Chicago for the eighth time in 10 years. So, yep. Let's just go ahead and put them at the 11.30 kickoff and get it over with. And, uh, yeah, we won't have – are you guys playing the Thursday night game again the week after? Because no. I know the NFL likes to do that with one of the – with either Dallas or Detroit, the following – they'll basically have a full week between this Thursday and next Thursday. Yeah, no, the, the Lions, I think, are playing the, the Sunday afterwards. So Okay. They get a full, you know, 10-day break or whatever sure. that is. Sure. So – um, what I was saying yesterday when I when I was recording my review uh, episode was that uh, you and I were probably going to spend this conversation convincing the other guy why his team was going to win on <laughs> Sunday just because yeah. we, we both have an absolute mess of a football team on our hands. I mean, I'm reading headlines today that, um, you know, yesterday is, is uh, the game where Nagy finally lost the rest of the locker room. Like he, he lost a bunch of guys in 2020 for some reason they brought him back 2021. And here we are 10 games in we're three and seven. We're on a, on a five game losing streak. And, uh, we're, we're going against the team on Thursday night. Weird things happen on Thanksgiving. And this just kind of feels like one of those games where the worst possible outcome is going to, 
uh, occur, but most Bear fans would probably welcome it because if he loses a sixth game in a row for the second season in a row, what <laughs> is the point in hanging on to him? Let's take advantage of this mini bye week to you know, wipe the slate clean and figure out who we should keep for 2022 because 2021 is done. Because, Jeremy, if we lose on Thursday, that's yeah. six games in a row, the next two games are the number one seed, 9-2 and two Arizona Cardinals, and then on the road on Sunday night at Lambeau with the Packers. We lose to you guys. We're 3-10 and 10 in a couple of weeks, and our best chance is to beat a Minnesota team that just figured out how to beat the Packers. Right. So, yeah, there's no I, end in sight if if we can't win on on Thursday, right? So, and if and if we lose, what what is the point? Just the that whole policy of not firing somebody mid season. What's the point? Just let him go. We know we're not keeping him. Just put a bullet, you know, put him out of his misery, one behind the ear, so he doesn't feel anything when you kill him, and it's over with, right? Yeah, it's interesting because I feel like last time I talked to you. I think we both agreed that the the Bears were kind of in the same situation as as the Lions were last year, where it was like, we all pretty much know where this is going to head. Like, we yeah. all know Nagy's not going to be around, and we all know like a, probably the you know switch up the GM too probably, and and it, it, it's better to just get it done as as soon as possible. And you know when the Lions ended up making that switch after Thanksgiving, after Thanksgiving when they got blown out by the Houston Texans. And so it'd be interesting to see if that's what happens with Chicago. But, I mean, you are all are also absolutely right. Like, I'm convinced the Bears are going to win this game, and it might not be close. <laughs> well, we just found out today that, um, you know, uh, and this is actually something that I support tremendously. We're not going to rush Justin Fields back. Yeah. So Dandy Dalton is going to start uh, on Thursday. I, I think that we – I've heard the good news that it's just bruised ribs, so he didn't break the ribs or anything like that. But to try to push him back out there on, you know, three days rest or whatever with rib injury, no thanks. Right. So I was like, no, just go ahead and, and, you know, let's give him the 10 days or the, you know, the two weeks to get ready for the, for the Cardinals and, you know, see what we can do there or whatever. But, uh, yeah, so it's, uh, it's going to be the Red Rocket against, uh, is Tim Boyle going to get another shot, or are they going to put uh, give uh, Blau his shot this time? Well, it'll it'll, it'll either be Boyle or, or Goff. We're we're not really okay. sure. Goff was listed as a is a limited participant in today's walkthrough. Okay, and uh, and and Campbell said you know he threw a little bit and he looked better, but um, they're still kind of preparing for Boyle to start. So we'll we'll see. Um, I, if I had to guess right now, I'd probably say it will be Boyle again, but um, with an outside chance that Goff might play. So real quick, uh, so since we're talking so much about the future, mm-hmm. um, I think it's only going to be another couple of weeks before the Lions lock themselves in at number one. Yeah, um, seems like it. <laughs> so are are is it is it going to be a quarterback? Um, are we were we still hanging on to Goff? Are you going to cut him loose after this season? What do you, what do you think the strategy is? It's it's a really good question, and it's one that it's kind of confounding. And it'd be a lot easier if there was a, a Trevor Lawrence esque yeah. type of. of you know, prospects out there, but there isn't. And so there's really no consensus, number one quarterback. And in fact, you look at some of the early drafts, like big boards, there's not even a quarterback in the top 15 or 20 of a lot of these big boards. So, right. um, 
that's it seems like to me like that might kind of force the Lions hands. You know, they also have the Rams first round pick and right. obviously a, a high second, depending on, you know, probably 33. But um, so the quarterback is an option there, but it really doesn't seem like quarterback is, is necessarily going to be that first overall pick. And the Lions have so many needs all over the place where if you get Kayvon Thibodeau, which seems to be everyone's kind of popular pick for the first overall prospect. Um, yeah, that's that's a huge move. That, that fills a, a position of need. If you, if you get a cornerback, if you get a wide receiver, all these sort of things fit a position of need because the Lions don't have a position that isn't a position <laughs> of need right now. Right. And so, uh, yeah, I think I think right now the plan is at least with the first overall pick, probably not go quarterback, but at the same time, like they need to do something about quarterback because Jared Goff just hasn't shown that he's willing to be the guy. Unfortunately for Detroit, like they restructured his contract to a point where they don't really get any sort of cap relief if they cut him, mm. maybe it may be a million dollars, like basically nothing. Um, so it's probably worth it for them to, to keep him, but they need to, they need to add someone like, like a Teddy Bridgewater or something, sure. someone that can push him at least for a year, because I don't know if fans can stomach a full year of Jared Goff again. I don't know if the players will, will get behind that. If, you know, if the rest of the team starts playing well enough to start winning games as well. Um, you know, you could lose a locker room by by playing a quarterback that's holding him back. And and to be fair to Jared Goff, like the Lions set him up to fail fail this year. They just yeah. did. Like they didn't give him a good wide receiving core. Their offensive line is good, but like it's been injured. Um, and so I, I think there, there's a chance they say, listen, let's get this guy some weapons and see what he can actually do next year. Um, but but as I said, like they they need to find at least somewhat of a competent backup plan, preferably a developmental plan, but. If that guy isn't in the draft, you, you can't rush it. You can't push it. There are there are too many needs right now in this team where you can't say, hey, we need a quarterback right now, and we're willing to take a risk on a guy that we're not sure on. So, you know, they, they got two first-round picks this year. They got two first-round picks, picks next year. So if they're like, our guy isn't in this draft, they still have a lot of draft capital to potentially get that guy next year. So that's what they should probably do. Okay. And um... – is there any talk of revisionist if we do the draft over, oh, 100%. we go yep. for Fields instead of, or Fields well, or Jones or, you know, somebody as beside, because I know that, that um, Sewell hasn't been, you know, a disaster or anything like that, but looking at the way that Goff has performed, would it have been better to go for Jones or, or Fields as opposed to taking the tackle there at seven? Here, here's the way the revisionist history is played out. It actually, it's, it, it goes further back to the Matthew Stafford trade. Oh, wow. Because, because according to some reports, Carolina had an offer on the table for their eighth overall pick and, and maybe like a third and Teddy Bridgewater or something. So in that scenario, the Lions get Teddy Bridgewater instead of Jared Goff, a much cheaper contract that isn't so restricting on the salary cap. They get the eighth overall pick where they can go Sewell, Justin Fields, and suddenly not only do they have a guy in, in Teddy Bridgewater who might be okay, but then you have, you know, Fields as your developmental guy, and suddenly maybe they're a year or two ahead of the, the rebuild of, of where they're supposed to be. Sure. And and all that makes sense. Like, revisionist history too, like, yeah, like that seems pretty good. The problem with that version of, of history is that Matthew Stafford reportedly did not want to go to Carolina. Right. That was not amongst his top options. And with a franchise like Detroit where you pissed off Barry Sanders, you pissed off Calvin Johnson <laughs> – Probably not a great look to piss off a guy that you're trading away uh, as well. And so I, I think the Lions probably did right by Matthew Stafford, and they should have done right by Matthew Stafford. But it's also fair to say, like, well, maybe he asked for a trade. He, does, he doesn't have a no-trade clause at all. You trade him, 
you get a fair deal for him. You send him to a place that could be a contender and maybe he'll complain about it, but that's not your problem anymore. Yeah. And, and yeah, maybe all of that would have worked out better, but I understand, you know, the Lions liked Jared Goff, that their GM is a guy who was instrumental in, in drafting them for the Rams. They, they thought maybe give him a chance in a new territory and, and he might do the th- kind of things that he did that, that got the Rams to a Super Bowl a couple of years ago. I understood all that at the time and, and it didn't work out. And, you know, had I, at this point, do I kind of wish they would have taken the Panthers deal and, and maybe done something like that? Sure. But also you have to wonder if the Lions thought Justin Fields could be their their guy, could be their franchise quarterback of the future. Don't you think they might have would have taken him anyways? Yeah. Instead of Sewell? So I don't like there's no guarantee if the Lions had seven and eight that they would have gone Sewell and and Fields. Maybe they would have gone with a corner, maybe they would have gone with a wide receiver another you know, a wide receiver. They certainly needed a wide receiver too. So um I don't know. It's all it's all fun to think about and and you know wonder if if they made the right move or not. But you also have to wait until the Lions use all these draft picks they got from the Rams. They got a first round this year and a first round next year. Is that will that turn out to be better than the eighth over one? You know, one first round pick that was the eighth overall. Well, let's let's wait and see if, how it plays out. Like Justin Fields isn't a guaranteed thing yet. No offense, Bears fans, but not at all. We'll see. <laughs> this episode of the Bears Talk Underground is brought to you by my bookie. This year, Turkey Day at MyBookie gives you plenty of reasons to be thankful, starting with a $250 risk-free bet on Thursday afternoon when the Dallas Cowboys host the Las Vegas Raiders. Bet the spread between the Raiders and Cowboys at MyBookie. When you win, you win, and if you don't, MyBookie will refund you up to $250. Simply put, you can't lose this bet, and that's what we call no risk all gravy. Before you get your wager in, set yourself up for success by doubling your first deposit when using the promo code SPORTSDRINK at MyBookie. That's promo code SPORTSDRINK to double your initial deposit all the way up to $1,000. So you won't need to break the wishbone to be the one to come out ahead. Feast risk-free on Turkey Day with MyBookie and make sure to stick around for seconds as they gear up for what should be a fun Black Friday with tons of odds boosts that will have your belly and your pockets full. Bet anything, anywhere, anytime with my bookie. <laughs> this episode is also brought to you by Symbol. Symbol is the sports stock market that allows you to profit off your sports knowledge. There are two ways to make money on Symbol. First, every time a team you own wins, you earn a cash win payout. Second, just like the stock market, if you think a team is going to increase in value, you can buy low and sell high for a profit. Use promo code SD, as in sports drink, to make your first deposit risk-free. That means even if you lose money or just decide the market isn't for you, Symbol will refund your initial deposit, no questions asked. (laughs) This episode is also brought to you by the Spotify Green Room. Guys, the Spotify Green Room is a live, audio-only sports talk platform. Talk to me, other fans, athletes, and insiders in real time. Get in on the conversation that you listen to here every single day and have a chance to be featured on your favorite podcast like this one. Download the Spotify Green Room app free in the iOS App Store. Create a profile, link your Twitter, and join my group. Follow me at Larry D-E-E. It's, uh, I don't know why they didn't let me use D period, but they didn't. So follow me at Larry D-E-E to be notified when my room goes live every Wednesday, 7 o'clock Central, 8 o'clock Eastern, and join me when we go live every Wednesday night at Club 34-7. Yeah, I mean, he's certainly on the on the right track. Sure. Um, I mean, yesterday, the way that I'm looking at, at yesterday's game on Sunday, 
was um, uh, our guest last week from Locked On from the Locked On Ravens podcast was telling us that the Ravens and or Wink Martindale has this amazing record against rookie quarterbacks. Mm. It's just like the first time that they're exposed to this Ravens defense and they send the truck at them or they bring nine guys up to the line of scrimmage. You don't know who's coming, who's who's dropping right. back and right. and all that kind of stuff. It really throws off rookie quarterbacks and that performance really fit the narrative of that, yeah. especially when the veteran Andy Dalton comes in, who's seen this defense twice a year for the first nine years of his right. career. All of a sudden we're able to move the football and get it downfield and score points and uh, and things like that. Granted, not enough points to win the damn game, but we were we we had zero points on the board before uh, Andy Dalton came uh, into the game. So it was like, what what my guy on you know was telling me last week as far as uh, how they perform against the Ravens defense. Clear as a bell, exactly. It fit the narrative of what he was saying. The, yeah. When you when you get a second bite at the apple, like the second time Joe Burrow played the the uh, the Ravens, he had a much better performance, which was the one where they decimated the Ravens forty one to seventeen in Baltimore, like right. four weeks ago or whatever. But the first time he played the Ravens before he got hurt last year, they tore him to pieces. So it's like, okay, so maybe, you know, in a few years when Justin Fields gets another bite at the the Ravens, then he'll be a pro and he'll yeah. be able to do something. But uh, you know, it's it's not so much. Um, I, I mean, he, I mean, he did not play well. He did not play well at all, and he ended up leaving the game with, with bruised ribs. He seemed like he was – it was definitely the defense that was affecting him. You could tell because he just seemed a little bit more – I don't want to say – I don't think it was – because he's very cool under pressure. So it wasn't that he was uh, flustered or whatever. It just – he seemed impatient mm-hmm. in the pocket yesterday. Like he was more apt to run than he was to wait for somebody to get open. Um, and, you know, he ended up running and taking some shots that he shouldn't have. Uh, yesterday, so, but uh, I mean, I guess that's a problem for a week or two from now when he's ready to come back, and then we all get to play the <sighs> game with Nagy about who's starting and who isn't. And you know, he wouldn't answer that question yesterday. Oh, really? When they asked him, you know, if Fields is healthy, is he your quarterback? Oh, we're gonna, you know, get all the information, hey. and then we're going to. It's yes or no, man. How is it that you always choose C on an A or B question? Every time, you know, if there, you know, if there's one thing that I've been extremely thankful for with with the Dan Campbell era, it's been the exact opposite. Like you can ask that guy anything and he's going to give you an answer. Mm-hmm. And and sometimes you're just like, are you sure you wanted to say that? And <laughs> like he, there was that thing with Jared Goff a couple of weeks back. Where, yeah, yeah. You know, yeah. He was asked he was asked like 15 questions about Jared Goff and whether he's your quarterback. And finally, he acquiesced and said something like, I'd like to see more out of Jared Goff. Mm-hmm. Which I think was a perfectly fair statement, not like, not completely mean or or dishonest or yeah, even, like it didn't even feel like he was calling out. It's just like, I mean, he he would say that of any player, and I know some people say you know you have to treat quarterbacks different, and a guy like Jared Goff who, you know, clearly had a, a strained relationship with with uh, McVay, yeah, um, maybe you need to be a little more sensitive with him, but like that was mild, and that was after he had spent three or four questions defending Jared Goff and saying like, you know, this guy is our quarterback. We still believe in him all that sort of stuff, but we need him to play better. Like that's not, it's not a terrible thing to say, but at the same time, like we are, I, I think Detroit media was like, Oh, you can actually say that. Like you're allowed to say that because <laughs> Matt Patricia wouldn't tell us anything. Well, the funny thing about that was that um, it became like the national narrative that he was bashing Jared right. Goff. Like he was asked one question and that was his one answer. 
Right. You know, like it was totally taken out of context. Yeah. And like you said, you were probably there, weren't you? Yep. Okay. Yep. So you're in the room. So you know yep. that he was, he just faced about a dozen questions about Jared Goff. And this was like the second to last answer, but that's the only one that made the cut as far as, you know, all the talking heads and, you know, ESPN and, and all that kind of stuff were concerned. Chris Carter calling him out, calling him an amateur head coach, all that sort of fun stuff. <laughs> Oh man. So, I mean, and, and, you know, you were talking about the approval rating, you know, from your, from your readers and your listeners and stuff like that. Is, is that the narrative across the board for Dan Campbell? Cause I swear a few weeks ago I was, I was reading one and done rumors online. Yeah. I mean, I would say most Lions fans and local media understand like the, I don't, I don't think there's literally any chance Dan Campbell gets fired this year. I don't okay. Think. It would, it would, it would take a John Gruden esque incident, I think for him to get fired. Sure. Because I think I think the the ownership believes in in his message. I think most people, th- this is the one thing they haven't really been straight up with. But everyone behind those closed doors knows this was a multi year rebuild. They know it was they they had to tear the the roster down to get it back up. There, you know, Dan Campbell is even like kind of alluding to how bad they are because they'll say things like, "Listen, we we we're some teams can afford to make a mistake and win." We're not that team right now. Yeah. And to me, like that, I mean, he's not saying the roster is bad, but he, that's exactly what he's saying. Like he's saying, like we're not good enough to afford one mistake. And if you if you're not good enough to afford one mistake, then you're a bad team. And and so he knows it. The GM knows it. The owner knows it. So yeah, it'd be nice to get a win or two or three and just not avoid the embarrassment of an 0-16 and one season. But everyone understands this team is depleted of of talent, and you can only do so much with that. So. Um, he's going to get to maybe even three years before they even start assessing him, I think, completely. Yeah, so more of a, like a Hugh Jackson kind of yeah, chance kind of, yeah. where they kind of yeah. overlook the uh, the 1-15 in 15 year followed by the 0-16 year, and he gets a crack at number three. <laughs> and, you, you know, it's like, oh, we're 0-8. We probably should let this guy go. I don't <laughs> yeah. think he's actually going to win us any football games. I'm hoping we we aren't going to see the the O and seventeen season next year. I hope, I'm hoping we're we're at least at four, but um, we'll see. I mean, obviously a lot of depends on development of their young guys. A lot depends on what they do in free agency in the draft next year. But they'll have more resources at their hands where I think they should be a pretty competitive team. And as you've mentioned, like this team has played in a lot of one score games, and they're a you know sixty what was it now sixty six yard field goal away from yeah. being the Ravens and. Uh, a 53-yard field goal at the end of regulation from the, the the Vikings for losing that game, a tie game. Like, they have all these really close moments, and you have, you get the feeling that it's eventually going to happen. But even if it doesn't, I think I think everything's not necessarily on, on par with what they were expecting, but not far off, really. Yeah, just looking at the, the schedule, you know, the, the 49ers got way out ahead week one. You, you, you dwindle that one down to a one-score game. The – you know, you dominate Green Bay for the first half. Couldn't, you know, couldn't wrangle them in the second half. That's where that one got away from you. Baltimore with the field goal, uh, with the with the Bear game, it was like we we kind of just jumped out in front of you. It was that. That's why I sent that message. If you guys figure out how to put sixty minutes together, because the second half was way better than the first. Because I think we won the first half like twenty-one to nothing. You guys won the second half fourteen to three, but it yeah. still wasn't enough to uh, to and win the football game. And if you remember in that first half, the Lions went into the red zone, I think, four three, times three, and came away with zero It points. was three times, two turnovers, yeah. one uh, turnover on downs. Yeah. 
Or was yeah. it two turnovers on downs and a, and a turnover? Something no, like was, that. There was definitely two turnovers because there was the, the, the snap that, that, that went, went off, off early. Goff's chest, yeah. Yeah. And then I, there was also, I think, an interception in there as well. So, okay. yeah, it yeah. was they, – they had their opportunity. They, I mean, they almost really played a full game against the Bears. It's just like those red zone blunders yeah. cost them a, a chance at competing in that one. Because I remember talking about that when I do my knee-jerk reactions when I'm watching the game. It's like after every <laughs> quarter, I kind of do a little recap. I was like, yeah. uh, you know, if the Lions figure out how to put it in the end zone, we're going to be in a lot of trouble here because right. they've already figured out how to move the ball up and down the field. We haven't stopped them yet. So, right. you know, they've been in the red zone three times, but somehow we've gotten turnovers and we got a turnover on Downs, Alex Ogletree, Got a hand up on what would have been a sure touchdown if he doesn't tip that football uh, and things like that, and that would have made you know a completely different football game. And like I said, that's why I sent you the message. Say, if you figure, you guys figure out how to put sixty minutes together, you're going to be trouble. <laughs> and you know, like you know, with the joke I started at the beginning of the 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 conversation, I was like, I'm guessing you haven't figured out how to put sixty <laughs> minutes together because uh, um, you, you got a tie, but you don't have any wins yet. <laughs> but um, yeah, I mean you. Was Cincinnati just a bad game? That's like the one real blowout. Well, Philadelphia. Yeah, yeah. Both those games were just those were and those were home games games too. That's a bad look. Yeah. Yep. Definitely a bad look. And not there's no real great explanation for either of those. Part of it is just that defense, the run defense, was really really bad in both of those games. Mm. And it's been tough sledding for them recently, too. I mean, part of it is you face the Steelers and Najee Harris, and that's just a tough dude to bring down. And then last week, obviously, with, with the Browns, you face Joe Mixon coming off the COVID list, and he he's a tough guy to bring down. He's, he's maybe arguably the best running back in the league. So um, run defense has, has been a bit of an issue, and they were really tough in that, in that Eagles game. I think the Eagles just completely surprised them with their game plan because they had not looked like a very good team up until that point and the Eagles just came out and like finally realized, Oh, we're really good at running the ball. Let's start doing that. And, and now they've, you know, I think they've, they've either won a few straight or maybe three out of the past four or something like they look like an okay team now. And of course it was the lines to, for them to kind of figure it all out. Yeah. The bears have that issue too, which is why I was, uh, you know, with the uh, glass half empty, um, like we're gonna have Jeremy Reisman on the show, and he and I are gonna spend the conversation telling each other why their team is going to win. Right. Uh, we're just on both Thursday. so accustomed to being the get right game. For yes, the other team, right? we are. We are. <laughs> Sadly, sadly, we are. We're always that. Like, hey, you've been having trouble throwing the football. Well, guess what? You're playing the Bears on Sunday. You're gonna throw for 400 yards. So, you can't... I can guarantee you that's not going to happen. By the way, <laughs> at least so here's the fun thing. Like. The Lions' past defense has been so bad, and we've been running a, a, a charity stream the entire month of November. I pledged uh, on Sunday after the Lions threw for 77 yards <laughs> that I would donate $1 for every passing yard that the Lions get against the Bears this week nice. to, uh, to to Rain, which is a, an anti-sexual violence sure. uh, thing that we're, we're raising money for. And everyone's like, oh, wow, great. Well, you're going to what? You're going to donate $10? Great, Jeremy. <laughs> <laughs> and, and someone's like, well, what if they finish with negative yards? Are you going to have to ask money from the charity? I'm like, first of all, that's not going to happen. It, and we ended up looking it up, and it's happened once in the past 20 years. Yeah. But then I was like, you know what? If it does happen, if the Lions somehow finish with negative passing yards against the Chicago Bears, I'll donate $500. But, <laughs> but I don't think that's going to happen. So 
let's let's talk glass half empty. Okay. What do oh, the lions doing that? Oh yeah, you know, let's <laughs> or excuse me, glass half full. Let's flip okay, that. Sorry. Let's uh let's uh let's let's look glass half full. Sure. What do the lions do well? What do the bears need to focus on? What do we need to stop in order to be able to win this game on Thursday? Cuz with the bears it's it's easier said than done because I mean one of the th- one of the little rants that I went on yesterday when I was doing the review was how aggravating it is watching other offenses make it look so easy. And my example was oh my number one, Tyler Huntley, who was mm-hmm. starting in his first game, who had only thrown eleven career passes going into Sunday, found out ninety minutes before the game that he was starting uh, and everything was efficient. You know, obviously he didn't make the same plays that Lamar Jackson would have, thank God. But, you know, he made it look fairly uh, – he, he looked efficient. He looked well coached, if you will. And then the other – my main example was, uh, did you know that Kyler Murray hasn't played in three weeks and the Cardinals are 2-1 and one because Colt McCoy threw for 400 yards yesterday. Right. 35 of 44, two touchdowns, like 380 passing or whatever. It's like, what the hell are we not doing – where we just make it look like it's such a Herculean task to get a goddamn first down, let alone score points. And, you know, it's so aggravating here, you know. So it's like, what do the, what do the Lions do can, that, you know, the Bears need to watch out for? Well, first of all, I'm right there with you. Like, the Lions have, haven't scored more than 20 points and haven't scored 20 points or more since week one. So I am right there with you with, like, how does – Every other team, I guess, except for the Bears, know how to run an offense <laughs> that's successful. Um, but I'm actually going to stay on the offensive side of the ball for the the, the source of optimism. Sure. That's the running game. Yeah, because DeAndre Swift has kind of balled balled out in the past two weeks. Became the first Lions running back to rush for 100 yards in back to back games since Kevin Jones in 2004. <laughs> so 17 years, Lions haven't had back to back games uh, with a, a running back with over 100 yards. Lions had 229 rushing yards against the, the Steelers two weeks ago. They had 168 against the Browns last week. And those are two pretty good defenses, too. So um, I, I guess that's part of the reason why the Lions have been so conservative in the passing game is because they have been successful on the ground. Um, but they still struggle when they absolutely need to do it on the ground. Like yeah. a couple third and short situations, it seems like teams know what they're going to do and, and stack the box against them, and, and the Lions can't beat that. But overall, I would say... That's something that's really shown major, major improvement, and part of that is getting Taylor Decker back, which they got a couple weeks ago. Part of that is Swift really becoming a, a better runner. Um, he was kind of getting criticized in the first half of the season for his ability, to, for his inability really to run in between the tackles. Got a little happy feetish uh, instead of going, you know, north south, and so he's improved as a running back. I think, you know, really everyone in that running back group has been good this year even you know the rookie Jamar Jefferson who may or may not be back in this game has has performed well Jamal Williams has been consistent all year um Deuce Staley's really just done a really good job with that running back group and um they're starting to get together on the running game so if there's if the lines are going to move the ball on on Thursday I almost said on Sunday on Thursday it's it's almost certainly going to be on the ground and, and they've had some success against good defenses recently so they might actually get it going okay I dig it and you know what, real quick, uh, you mentioned Deuce Staley. Um, it was one of the reasons why I had, you know, I was like, I, I think we were both on the same page on, you know, not expecting the Lions to win uh, many games this year. But it was one of the things that had me excited about the the Lions and their coaching staff was the the, the staff that, that Dan Campbell put together. 
right. and why and it just seemed like why he put these guys together. It's like these guys all want to be head coaches. So they're going to come in and do their version of balling out as coaches so they get their own team uh, yeah. someday. You know, Anthony Lynn, who, you know, for whatever reason couldn't make it work in in Los Angeles, you know, just seemed like they, they, they had all the right people, but it just whatever it was, he couldn't get them over the, over the hump. He wants his next shot because he's got it on the books that he was the one that helped Justin Herbert become Justin Herbert last year. Uh, right. and things like that. Deuce Staley, who's always wanted his shot. Um, your defensive coordinator, Glenn, Aaron, Aaron Glenn, Glenn, yeah, Aaron Glenn yeah. one of the up and coming, you know, assistant coaches in the league. All these guys want their own team, uh, someday. And, uh, you know, it's like the, it, it just, it, I think it bodes well for the Lions. These guys are definitely going to be giving 100% to, you know, to the, to the efforts so that they can somehow, you know, get their own team sometime soon. Yeah. And I, I think there still is that optimism with this coaching staff in, in general, with maybe the one exception being Anthony Lynn, because as as we talked to earlier, Dan Campbell taking play calling duties away from Anthony Lynn, not a great sign not for an good, offensive yeah. coordinator. Um, so we'll see how that one plays out. Anthony Lynn was was considering taking a year off before Dan Campbell got him on the phone to, and convinced him to get here. But if things kind of continue in the direction they're going, I think maybe he'll get that year off a year later. And <laughs> I mean, we'll we'll see how it happens. I don't want to you know, call my shot or anything with, with the person getting fired necessarily, but it's never really a good sign when your offensive coordinator gets play calling duties taken away from him, you know, eight games into his first year. Um, so yeah. we'll see how that one plays out. But yeah, I think in general, people still like this coaching staff. The players still seem to like to p- play for these guys and for guys like Aaron Glenn and, and Aubrey Pleasant, the Lions defensive backs coach, they're really getting good play out of guys. They have no business getting good play out of, you know, the lines are, have been playing a bunch of undrafted rookies in their secondary, and, and they've been holding their own. So there's still a lot of optimism with the coaching staff, um, despite the the poor start. And uh, and hopefully, you know, when they get a little bit better talent, we'll, we'll see the fruits of those labors. So you were talking about the the, the running game. Like, the, you know, obviously you guys are fairly efficient, which is anti-Detroit Lion, uh, for at least for, <laughs> you know, at least the entire Matt Stafford uh, era, yeah. if not longer uh, than that. But you did mention something that I could relate to as a Bear fan, whereas, like, we can watch them eight yards, ten yards, you know, six-yard chunks and turning first and ten into second and four, second and three, things like that. But when it comes to third and four, we always seem to choose a play. It's like, we suck at that. Why do we keep running that in that spot? Why do yeah. – you know, it, it always seems to be a play the defense can see coming, and I saw it yesterday – uh, against the Ravens, where the Bears are uh, have proven to be proven themselves to be a between the tackles running football team this year. You know, if we get to the outside, it's something where we've worked our way up towards the outside. That it was something where we just kind of bounced it, bounced one out, uh, an extra gap, and boom, we're we're getting towards the sidelines, kind of thing. And for whatever reason, every now and then we like to dust off the old power sweep. And it's the whole, you know, pitch to the pitch the running back to the outside, and by that he never he never ever turns the corner and gets upfield, Jeremy, because there's always a host of defensive players waiting for him over there at the sideline. And I don't know if it's if it's I haven't really done the the, the film study if that always happens because we keep running that sweep to the short side of the field, or if it's just they can see it coming and they know to look for that or the, you know the cues 
that the defense can read. This is what we're doing. Do the Lions have a play like that? Because you were saying, like, every now and then when we need to, we can't pull it off. Is it because they keep running the same play into a brick wall kind of thing? Not really. I mean, it, I think they just can't find a play that works for them because mm. early on they, they kept trying to throw it on, on fourth and one and third and one, and the timing was just off between Goff and his receivers. Last week they, they tried a fullback dive that got stuffed at the line. Um you know, it, I think they're just they're just a bad football team. Like <laughs> they just don't have a bread and butter right now on on short yardage situation because they don't really have a bread and butter period. Like other than just giving the ball to Swift and, and hoping he does something magical. Um, and it's tough too without you know they're missing Frank Rag now. They're they're all pro center. Um, he's out for the year. Um, that certainly didn't help their their short yardage. Well, you guys lost him against us, didn't you? I think that's right. Yeah. Yeah. Was yeah. it the was it. A toe injury or something it like that. It was a toe injury. Yep. Okay. Toe injury. Yeah, yeah. Um. So yeah, that that certainly hasn't helped their their situation at all. But you'd like to see them still be able to do. I mean, they're not they're not even getting poor play out of their backup center Evan Brown, who's actually done done fairly well. Um. But yeah, for whatever reason, they just they don't have a play that works right now in in, in those short yarded situations. So it's pretty frustrating. Yeah. So I, I think that. Um... It's one thing to to try everything and for it not to work. It for me, it's more annoying to keep trying the one thing you know sure. isn't going to work. Yep. And we're just gonna. It's almost like you know. I swear to God, Nagy is 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 playing Madden with the Bears. They're just gonna keep <laughs> running this play until it works. Yep. Just gonna keep running this play until it works. I know it's going to work. We're just gonna keep running it until it works. And, and I've been saying this since 2019. I think Nagy is an emotional play caller, which is the mm-hmm. worst kind of play caller you can be. Right. You know, because your frustration is going to like, well, if that's, you know, it's either going to lead you not to do something or it's going to lead you to do something over and over again because you are certain it's going to be it's going to work or that it should work or you're calling the right play. We're just not executing it kind of thing. And even though laser is the one calling the plays, it's still Nagy's offense that we're running. And that's where the limitations come in. So. Yeah. Yeah. Just two sad offenses playing each other on Thanksgiving. <laughs> you know, man, it's a good thing that I have a podcast um, because, you know, I don't know how many times this year would have been like, you know what, I'm not watching any more of this. I'm done with this. I just, you know, I definitely would have bailed on the Cleveland game. Yeah. Uh, like, in, in, I would have made it through halftime, waiting to see halftime adjustments. But when we came out in halftime, still not helping out the tackles, still dropping Justin back in seven-step drops and – uh, and all that kind of stuff. No rollouts, no tight end help, no chipping the edges, which were Javian Clowney and Miles Garrett, by the way. Oh, yeah. um, you know, not giving him any help. I would have been like, okay, third quarter. I see where this is going. I'm done. You know, <laughs> like how many times I would have bailed on a game this year just because I couldn't stand it right. anymore. It's like, number one, I have the podcast. Number two, I love football. So I can sit through pretty much anything when it comes to football. If If I was doing a Cubs podcast and we're losing six to one in the first inning guess what that episode ain't coming out because <laughs> i didn't make it past the first uh, first inning when so-and-so gave up six runs in the bottom of the first it's like I, I i quit after that so you know but, but i will say the frustrating thing about covering a bad football team outside of you know especially if you're emotionally attached to the said football team is right you don't get you don't get to watch the rest of the the league and that's a lot more fun yeah like i i want to sit on i want to be that that guy some sometimes especially in the middle of a Oh, oh, nine in one season. I, I want to be the guy that just sits 
on my couch at one o'clock and watch Red Zone all day. Like sure. that, I want to do that. That's why the the bye week is so great for for Lions fans or Lions writers is because I can do that. I can just be like, you know what, I and I'll be able to do that this set, this upcoming Sunday too, which is also good about Thanksgiving week. But yeah, um, I'm I, so I missed those days when I I wasn't as involved with the team and I could just I could just kind of like yeah, if if the Lions were playing like crap through three quarters, I wouldn't have to watch the fourth quarter and I could go see what Tom Brady was doing or see what Patrick Mahomes was doing or or whatever. But uh, you know. It, it's one of the few complaints I have about my job because I, I, I am lucky and I don't want to sound ungrateful for that. Right. Yeah, and you got the Thanksgiving spread to look forward to on Thursday. Very, you've I mean, you've told me about, about that more week. than once. <laughs> you've told me about that more than once. They really go all out for Thanksgiving at, uh, I was going to say Pontiac, but dear God, that was forever ago. At Ford yeah, Field, they go all yeah. out for the Thanksgiving spread. Yeah, and I, I've talked to a lot of beat writers this year about like food at – at other places and, and how they match up to Ford field. And in general, the the general consensus is that Ford field isn't very good in, in what they give the press box guys. But the one exception everyone says is, is Thanksgiving. And based on my experiences, yeah, I hundred percent agree. Is it just like hot dogs and during the, the regular season when it's not Thanksgiving or what? what no, you guys... I mean, they, so they have a Coney station, like Coney dogs is like the big Detroit thing. Okay. I, I, I don't really understand, but people seem to love here for whatever reason. And they always have a Coney station. But other than that, it's just like it's a, it's a rotating spread of just kind of average to below average food, whether it's <laughs> chicken parmesan or, you know, it. sometimes you, you get a, a, a Mexican spread okay. or a Chinese spread. But it's all just it's just OK. Because the okay. one time I was in an NFL press box was actually at a college game. When my alma mater, Western Illinois, played South Florida in Raymond James Stadium back in 2001. Tampa. Here's yeah. the thing. Every single person that I talk to says Tampa has the best spread. It was amazing. It was. Uh, they made, they had, you said Mexican spread. They had fajitas yeah. in the press Ooh, box. Okay. And this is like, you know, us and, and for a 1AA college program. We're we're jumping for joy if we get fried chicken in the press right, box. Right. It's otherwise it's either pizza or like subs or something like that. I mean, it's free food, so you're not complaining. But then when you go to a Division One college football team in an NFL stadium and they're with ready-made fajitas, it's like, <laughs> oh my god, this yeah. is this is heaven on earth. It's like I could barely move by the time kickoff started because I ate 27 fajitas before the game because you just could have as much as you want. It's like, I can have more. Yep. Like, yeah, go right ahead, man. There's plenty coming. Like, okay, I'll just take this tray with me, you know, kind of thing. So yeah, I don't really understand why Tampa has that reputation or why they do it. But at, like, if, if you were to poll, I think beat writers in the NFL, they would all say Tampa is like in that top five category. <laughs> I don't really understand why. All right. <laughs> well, that's how awesome our teams are. We're having more fun talking about fajitas and coney dogs than uh, than uh, what our teams are actually putting on the field uh, these days. But you know, you and I were long suffering fans of our respective franchises. Where you know, what's the saying? If you're not here for my worst, you don't deserve my best, or whatever it is, yeah. kind of thing. Well, we we definitely deserve the best because we're sitting through. Uh, the worst we've suffered through plenty of it, especially our two teams. Yeah. Um, so, you know, and and I think that's why you and I get along the way we do. That's why we. That's why I get along with. Uh, well, Evan. Evan's an exception to the rule. Evan Western, 
for <laughs> yeah. for Acme. Yeah. He's exception to the rule because every other Packer fan I've met is a total dickhead. So, oh, um, you know, but I actually like Evan and I like talking to him despite his crooked allegiances to the wrong team. And uh, you know, Chris Gates is a good guy too. So, the I've Vikings are an up and down. Fans. Yeah, yeah. So neither have I, to be honest with you. And the funny thing is, I always kind of had a sentimental attachment towards the Vikings because Warren Moon was my favorite player growing up. And this was before Sunday Ticket and DirecTV and all that kind of stuff. So I only got to see Warren Moon play like one, like two or three times a year on you know national TV when he was with the Oilers. But then he goes to Minnesota, and I'm guaranteed at least two games seeing him. And because it's you know the same region – you know, I could maybe see him play five or six times uh, in a season kind of thing, you know, going all the way back to ancient 1994 and things like that. So, yeah, how old were you in 94, Jeremy? I was eight years old, my eight. friend. Okay, so you're not a total child. No, so, no, not anymore. Now, like my, my buddy, uh, Lauren Cox, who does the Locked On Bears podcast, I was talking to him and, and, and um, another beat writer for the for the Bears, and I um, was like, yeah, I was uh, – I was in Soldier Field when Walter Payton broke Jim Brown's rushing, rushing record in 84. Oof, oof. And I was like, yeah, we were born in 96. Like, both of you can go right to hell. Both of you. <laughs> I graduated high school in 96. Both of you shut up, you know. Like, you're infants. What the hell, you know. You didn't get to see all the good stuff. But then, of course, I felt privileged because I was alive in 85 and I was there to see it all kind of thing. But, uh Yeah. Memories. I wish I had memories like that. I, <laughs> well, like I said, Barry Sanders. I can't complain. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's. Uh, but it's like you know, I was spoiled, or I was set up to fail, as, as as the kind of way I put it now. Because my first year, where I followed the Bears, week one to week sixteen, was nineteen eighty five, where oh, I did not see them lose one game that whole year because I was seven years old in nineteen eighty five. So I had to go to bed when they lost to the Dolphins on Monday Night Football. I just woke up the next morning to hear that they lost. I was like, what? They lost? They can't lose? What are you talking about? <laughs> so I never saw them lose a game the entire time. And then they went 14-2 and two in 86. So in two seasons, I saw them lose twice. You know? It's just, yeah. So talk about being spoiled beyond spo- They win every single game. How am I supposed right. to? How am I supposed to deal with like a season like 89 when they went 6 and 10? Like, just, what is, what is this? What's going on? You know? It's like not, not knowing this was going to become the norm as I got older, uh, kind of thing, especially after we got rid of Ditka and we had to suffer through Wanstat and Jerron and, you know, we oh, rebounded man. with Lovey, but then after Lovey's gone, Picking Trestman over Arians was always a good choice. So that one still stings, man. Still stings, (laughs) especially with Bruce winning Super Bowls in Tampa Bay and everything. Yeah, right. So anyway, Jeremy, we're looking forward to the game because it's a tradition. Um, Sure. It's it's a chance to, you know, A, get the game out of the way so you can enjoy enjoy the holiday. And like you said, you can enjoy some NFL uh, Sunday and and, and watch other teams uh, play. Uh, and yep. everything, and uh, as we've said over and over again, uh, and it should be interesting on Thursday for sure. This is probably the one true rivalry in the NFC North where you never really know how that game's uh, gonna go. They always seem to battle yeah. it out. Our two teams, like in you know, Green Bay is our biggest rival, but this is our best rivalry with the with the Lions, where we we tend to go back and forth. So, 
You know, yep. you don't have to worry about Mitch. He's not on the team anymore, man. So he, he you got can't a shot hurt us anymore. <laughs> you, you can't hurt you anymore. You got a shot. So we'll see. So Jeremy, where can uh, where can we keep up with you in the meantime? Because aside from your Lions content, I always love your your Twitter feed. You always crack me up with some of the stuff you come up with. So where can we follow you there? Yeah, at Detroit on Lion, all one word, Detroit on Lion. Uh, on Twitter, obviously, all my writing is over at Pride of Detroit. I do a little b- bit of work for the Associated Press every now and then as well. Oh, nice. Um, yeah, which is a pretty cool addition to my my repertoire there. And if you if you like audio and video stuff, we, we have a live Twitch channel where we do a lot of fun stuff. So that's twitch.tv slash Pride of Detroit for all you youngins that use Twitch. Um, we do a lot of Lions-related content over there, including podcasts, men simulations, all sorts of fun stuff over there. Nice, nice. Well, Jeremy, it's... Always great having you on, man. And uh, you know, we'll we'll try to figure out a reason over the off season to have you back on. If we're just going to talk NFL, or we'll 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 cry on each other's shoulders about our, our broken <laughs> seasons and and everything. Or, or you can talk me through this transition of new coach, new GM yeah, uh, that yeah. we're likely going to be going through because you just went through it yourself and and all that kind of stuff. We'll find a reason to bring you back. All right, sounds good, man. Jeremy Reisman, pride of Detroit, helping us preview Bears and Lions. As always, want to thank our good friend Jeremy Reisman from SB Nation's Pride of Detroit uh, for being on the show. Be sure to uh, follow him on his various Twitch streams and uh, uh, on Twitter. Like I said, it's not all just Lions uh, content. He's actually a pretty fun uh, Twitter follow, um, you know, and he's a good dude. So uh, give him a like and a, and a follow or, or whatever there is out there with them drinking them wines and smoking them tweeds and, and whatnot. So. You know what the kids do. So, anyway, it, it's 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 going to be uh, uh, well. It's going to be a football game, or at least that's what they're promising to show us on Thursday. Hopefully, it does. Uh, hopefully, that is what we get. Um, pretty sure that I mentioned to Jeremy that uh, it will be Andy Dalton on Thursday. They're not going to rush Justin Fields back uh, for the uh, the rib injury. Uh, I am hearing that it was just bruised ribs and not cracked ribs or broken ribs, so that's a good thing. So we could possibly get him back for the Cardinals game after the mini-buy um, on December 5th. But, um, you know, we'll, uh, we'll see uh, how this all change, how this all churns out. I'm, I'm interested to see how the, how the offense will look different with, with Andy Dalton uh, in there because we noticed how, uh, you know, Justin Fields kind of looked a little awkward trying to run Andy Dalton's offense uh, when he first came in. but uh, So maybe it'll be a little bit easier transition for Andy Dalton, for, or at least for Laser and uh, Nagy, to uh, call plays better suited for Andy Dalton since that's what they spent the entire offseason doing, not even thinking about getting Justin Fields prepared uh, to play. So maybe the, maybe the offense will hit the ground running with Andy Dalton uh, out there. And uh, that's definitely something that we could use uh, for sure. So one thing that I do not want to hear, though, God forbid, if Andy Dalton plays well, which he should, it's the Lions, for Christ's sake, um, I don't want to hear about him starting for the rest of the year. That's not what this year is about anymore. 
not with a five-game losing streak, not being three and seven, not with us having to be perfect for the rest of the year to not be below 500. Like we have to go six and one, not to be an under 500 football team this year. And the Packers and the Cardinals come after this game on Thursday. It's not going to happen. Not going to happen. We're going to be a losing football team. If we win, we'll be four and seven, and then we'll lose to the Cardinals and the Packers. We'll be four and nine, and it's done. It's done. So, yeah, it's not about uh, Andy Dalton or you know getting you know winning football games. It's not about that anymore. It's about seeing what's uh, what's ahead in twenty twenty two. You know, do we have a player in Thomas Graham? Uh, junior is Artie Burns worth bringing back next year? Is uh, you know Daz Newsom somebody we want to bring up from the practice squad? Rodney Adams and stuff like that. Instead of trying to figure out how to get Allen Robinson more involved in the offense, it's not about that anymore. You know, especially if we lose on Thursday, definitely not going to be about you know getting Allen Robinson some tape so he can frit- hit free agency uh, or anything like that. It's going to be about finding out whether or not we want to hang on to some of these others guys. So anyway, we'll talk a little bit more about that uh, tomorrow along with keys to the game, news and notes and everything else in between. So come on back for that tomorrow. This breakneck speed that we're in cranking out these shows, four shows in three days uh, for me. This is number three, uh, getting this one done. And I hope you guys enjoyed it. Hope you'll be back tomorrow for the keys to the game uh, to get you ready for Bears Lions on Thanksgiving Day. So I'll come on back tomorrow for the deep dive preview. And until then, my name is Larry D and this has been the Bears Talk Underground. As a professional welder, Shayna Ford uses Forge FX to practice over and over, which helps her improve her skills. The more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo Concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows VR training platforms like ForgeFX help students master their skills. There's a big learning curve with welding. Virtual reality simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be.